the book Habakkuk. We're going to be wrapping up this, this part of our, our summer series next week. Uh, in July, we're going to be moving into the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, which is ultimately the dashboard confessional of the Bible. Uh, it's very emo. It's very brooding. It's very dark. And, um, and just wondering about what's the meaning of life. And as we kick off, uh, as we end summer in, the book, in August, we're going to be in the book of James, uh, specifically looking at, man, when life gets back to normal, because Man, fall is coming, and that seems to be when things go back to normal. School begins to start. The routine begins to fall back into place. Man, how do we live life following Jesus 24-7 in midst of the normal? And that's what we're going to be learning about in the book of James. Uh, so excited about the rest of the summer. So, so loved getting to dive into God's word. Um, but t- today we're in part three. Uh, we're going to be looking. Uh, we're going to be looking at God's response because last week we looked at Habakkuk's response to God's response. Um, and, and, and Habakkuk is this prophet, and he's in the process of complaining to God about God, and he's complaining to God about the way that God does. Excuse me. I just took a sip of the bubbly water, and I got the burps right now, man. It is just a rough morning for this guy. Um, but maybe the afternoon will be better. Who knows? Um, but um, Habakkuk is complaining to God about God because Habakkuk is seeing things that are happening in his time and in his community that are just wrong, that are just awful. And, and, and it's very similar to the things that we would see in today's culture where we see, man, there is something that is happening in this world that is not right. There is something that is going on that is not right. There is injustice. There is just overwhelming sense of evil. And so, God, what do we do with this? Where are you in the midst of this? Has anybody ever gone through a circumstance or a situation and just kind of in the middle of it, you just kind of look and you're like, God, are you even around? Are you even present? Are you even active in this world anymore? Because it seems, it seems as though you have left me out to dry. It seems as though you have left the world out to dry. And last week we looked at the question that Habakkuk threw out to God, which is ultimately, God, if you're good, why is there evil? God, if you're good, why is there evil? Such a small question to ask, right? God, if you're so good, why is there so much evil? And, and specifically what I want us to take note of just for a moment is at the end of Habakkuk's complaints, there's a part where he, he, he in, in chapter 2, verse 1, where he ultimately is saying, so what I'm going to do is I've offered this complaint to God. I need him to answer me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get away Not simply to talk to God, but to spend time waiting to hear from God. And so we're going to be picking up this morning. i got a lot to cover in a decent amount of time. But but we're going to be kicking off in Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And this is what the Word of God says, and we're going to be breaking this up and, and just going to be speaking from a few of these verses. This says, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. What I want to encourage you with this morning is that if you will take the time to meet with God, to open the word of God, and to seek the voice of God, God will meet with you. If you take the time to get into the word of God, to meet with God, to seek the voice of God, God will meet with you. But here's the difficult part of this. And this is where a a little bit of uh, not restriction, but just a resistance comes is often when I meet with God, I want him to tell me what I want him to tell me. You know what I mean? Like I want God to tell me what I want to hear. Uh, I'm a, my wife and I, Jen, 
the beautiful gal that was up doing announcements uh, and, and taking just uh, sexy Phoebe, we're going to call her. Um, but, uh, but we are, she made that joke, right? So it's not like wrong if I make that joke. What, well, I'm just saying, why not? So we like the show The Office. And one of my favorite characters to not like in that show is this guy named Ryan. And Ryan uh, started, started as a temp, becomes full-on staff, gets a huge promotion, uh, gets fired, all these things, goes back to being a temp, and they kind of create this position for him. And he has this monologue where uh, Steve Carell, who was the original office manager, left the show. Will Ferrell's on it for just a little bit. It's so funny. And Ryan goes into this monologue of the type of person he needs to work for. Because, man, he goes, my life was in a total mess. And he goes, I need someone to lay down the law with me. I need someone to direct me with where I go, but not direct me in a way that I don't want to go. Ultimately, what I need is I need somebody to tell me what I want to hear. And how many of us are like that? If we can be honest, and how many of us, are, when we meet with God, man, more times than not, I want God to tell me what I want him to tell me. And oftentimes, that's not the case. Oftentimes, it's God telling me what I don't want to hear, but what I ultimately need to hear. Because if we want to move forward in this life, if we want to move forward in our relationship with God, there are things about our human condition. There are things about our sinful condition that God needs to bring up to us, that God will bring up, will make real to us, make known to us. And then ultimately what God does, which is just so amazing that he does this because his desire is for a relationship with you, he will bring up the thing about you that you didn't want him to bring up. He will talk about the thing you didn't want him to mention, and then he will leave it in your court to either deal with it or to continue to move in the direction that you've been moving. But man, if you want to hear from God, God will make his voice known to you. But, the, but again, the truth is he's going to tell you things often that you don't want to hear but need to hear. And my encouragement to you is when God brings up those things that you wish you had, man, know that he's doing it because he loves you because he's created you with a purpose, because he's created you for a purpose, because he's got wonderful things in store for you. But in order to get to the place that God needs you to go, man, we have got to get into the business of getting rid of the things that's, that hold us back. The scripture says that getting rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. So often I used to look at this idea of, man, if God was convicting me, I was so just like distraught of like my life is over. God's convicting me of something. He's, he's bringing up what I don't want him to bring up. It's so uncomfortable. I'm such an awful person. And, and through some time and through some maturity, I realized that, man, when God brings that stuff up, when God convicts me of wrongdoings that I've done in my life, when God convicts me of sin, when God convicts me of complacency, when God convicts me of just kind of having this lackadaisical attitude towards who he is, it's not so that I would simply feel bad, but it would be the thing that compels me to become more like Jesus. And so if you want to meet with God, man, know that he will probably be bringing stuff up that you don't want him to bring up or that you were hoping he would look over, but know that he does it because he loves you. Know that he does it because he wants the best for you. Know that he's doing it because he wants you to get rid of it so that you can move on to the place that his desire is for you. It's not always going to be what you want to hear, but it's always going to be what you need to hear. Continuing in verse 3, God says, this is a vision for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. God is giving Habakkuk a vision for the future to give him hope in his presence. 
God is giving Habakkuk a vision for the future, a vision for the coming kingdom of God to give him hope in his current situation. Man, if you need hope this morning, man, I would encourage you, man, seek a vision from the Lord. Seek that he would reveal more of who he is in your current circumstance and situation because, man, if you're going to have hope for anything, it's going to come from, from the hope that is the one who is hopeful. God's going to give you a vision for the future to give you hope in your present. And Habakkuk is getting a picture of heaven from God. And God is saying, you can trust me with what's coming. You can trust me with what's coming. What's coming may not be enjoyable. It may not feel like it's beneficial, but you can trust me with what's coming. And the reason you can trust me with what's coming is because I've been there. I've been there. I've been to where you're going. And the things that, that you're hoping for, the things that you're praying for, he's saying to back, they're going to come to pass. They're, ultimately what God is doing is he's being a really good parent while taking his kids on road trips. Now, if you've got kids and you, maybe you've done some road trips or you remember back in the day when you used to go on road trips, what were mom and dad always in healthy supply of? Snacks and toys. Thank you, Jacob. Ours were the little fruit snacks and the little, the little wrappers. Man, those are still my favorite. If we ever have those in the house and Jen's like, where did all those go? Most of the time it was me because I will eat those by the fistful. Anyway, uh, so, so what God is doing is he's ultimately giving Habakkuk the equivalent of what a parent gives a child on a road trip. It's a snack. It's a temporary solution for, while you wait for the intended destination. And God is giving Habakkuk a vision for what's coming so that it gives him hope in his present day. Man, if you're waiting to get to that destination, man, God wants to give you a vision of the future. God wants to give you a vision of the coming of the kingdom of God because you may look at culture and you may become so discouraged, but man, when you get a vision for the kingdom of God, you will have hope once again. You will have hope once again. So God is giving Habakkuk the metaphorical fruit snacks on his journey, on his conversation, on his complaint. Then God continues to go on to say, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. It's almost as if God knew we were an impatient culture. It's almost as if God knew that we have a difficult time in waiting for what we need. And God's, God's speaking to Habakkuk and he's saying, this is, not, this is not a thing that will come about in your timing. It's not. It's not going to come about in your timing. And I have issue with that. I have issue with that, that it's not in my timing because I really do believe that my timing is best. I really do believe that if God would solve my problem now, it would be the perfect timing, not because it's in his plan, but because my pain and my suffering and my discomfort would be over. Really, if we look at our timing, it's to alleviate our tension. And God is saying, this is not a your timing thing. This is a my timing thing. This is God being a good father saying to us, the impatient children, just wait just wait, just wait, everything will be fine, we will get there, we're not going to live in the car forever, we're not going to stay in this place forever, just wait, be patient, wait, because what God is ultimately revealing to Habakkuk is that the kingdom of Jesus is coming. The kingdom of Jesus is coming. 
the justice of the kingdom is coming to right the wrongs, to settle the scores, to settle the tab on everything that's broken in this world. Man, the kingdom of Jesus is coming. But God is saying, but remember, it's not in your timing. This is in my timing. So what you have to have is you have to have this little thing called faith, and you have to trust me in the meantime. When it's not in your timing, you have to have faith to trust God in the meantime. Verse 4, God continues to say, he says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by the faithfulness, by their faithfulness to God. The arrogant person, the proud person who puts their faith in themselves. Man, can I encourage you with anything? Don't be that person. Don't be that person who puts your faith in yourself. When we see people like that, they look like they have it all together. They look confident. They look like they're complete. They look like they're struggling with nothing. But their life is built on sand. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 26 to 27. He uses a parable about two different men who build houses on two different foundations. And the man who builds their house on the rock, man, the storms come and the situations happen and life throws them a curveball, but their house stands solid because it's built on the right foundation. But when you and I, when we put our faith and our trust and our hope in us, we are like this other guy who builds his house on sand, who has no foundation, who has nothing to dig his, 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 the roots deep into so that when the storm comes and the waves happen and life throws you a curveball and there's an unexpected death or there's an unexpected medical diagnosis or all of a sudden you find yourself without a job all of a sudden when you're in that place and in those circumstances and your house is built in the sand because your faith is in you you will come crumbling down it'll fall but the kingdom of jesus is coming don't put your faith in yourself don't trust in yourselves but put your trust in god don't simply don't trust simply in what you see but trust in god who sees what you don't see don't trust in what you think you know but place your faith in the god who knows everything I mean, God is ultimately saying when you've got two choices, you can exist in a life of pride, which is faith in yourself, or you can trust in God and you can put your faith in him. And he's saying the righteous trust in God until they see God. They trust in what God is doing until they see what God has done. And I know that it's difficult to wait for the outcome. I know that it's difficult to wait for the answer. I know that it's because I want what I want right now. I want it to be right right now. And I hate waiting. And I get frustrated. But if we can just go back to slide two real quick. But this is the big point of what we're looking at, is that faith is for when you're frustrated. Faith is for when, so if you're frustrated, man, this is the perfect time for you to put your faith in God. This is the perfect time for you to put the circumstance in the hands of the one who holds everything. And so faith is the perfect weapon for when you're frustrated. And let me just be really honest. There's a lot in this world to be frustrated about. There's a lot in this world to be frustrated about. Man, I, I get increasingly more frustrated every time I, I, I look at the news, every time I look at social media, and I, there's so much about me that wants to just remove myself from those platforms. It just wants to kind of bury my head in the sand and wait till Jesus comes back and just kind of exist in this bliss of whatever. That rhymed. Uh, exist in the bliss of, of, of whatever and just waiting 
But man, God's got a purpose for that tension. God's got a purpose in the waiting. God's got a purpose in the things that we see that break our heart and the reason we don't hide our head in the sand and the reason we don't completely disconnect from culture, the reason we don't completely disconnect from the things that are going around us because we have a message that has hope because we are not speaking about our kingdom, but we are speaking about the kingdom that is to come. We trust in what God is doing until we see what God has done. Verse 5, wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed many peoples. Habakkuk is meeting with God and God tells him there are two things, Habakkuk, that you will encounter in this life. There is culture and then there is the kingdom. There is culture, and there is the kingdom. And if you look at the culture, here are the markers. Uh, we, we see a culture that, is, uh, that Habakkuk and then God are, are talking about. We see a, 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 a culture of addiction. We see a culture of arrogance. We see a culture of pride. We see a culture of anxiety, stress, depression, and greed. That was Habakkuk's time. Oh, how the times, they haven't changed a bit. Man, we are two and a half thousand years removed from this conversation between God and Habakkuk, and we are still having the same experience today in 2018 that Habakkuk was going through then. We live in this, such this false notion that we are such a, an evolved people. We have this, such, such a false notion that we are advanced, that we have moved beyond because of the time that we live. But here's the thing, man. Our culture is just as addicted, just as arrogant, just as anxious, just as proud, just as stressed out, just as depressed, and just as greedy as it always has been. When I was in history class, we would make timelines. Does anybody ever make, remember making a timeline? And usually it started with like, I was born. And then it was like, that was, so July 3rd, 1983. Uh, and, and then it's like, and all the little things in the timeline, like, um, Moved from Georgia to Minnesota, Matthew was born. And then we moved in this, Matthew's my little brother. I was, I'm, I'm really excited that he's alive, truly. Um, <laughs> so if you ever listen to this, Matt, I'm really excited that you're alive. And not just because he has three Starbucks mugs for me, but I'm really excited for his existence. Um, but, you know, so you go through these timelines, and I used to think that time was literally just this, like, this line of advancement and evolution and progress. But when it comes to our culture, man, it is not a straight line. It's ultimately like a cul-de-sac. It's just a circle, and we keep driving in the same circle over and over again, dealing with the same things that the generation before us has dealt with. And we can say that we're not, and we can say that we've dealt with it, and we can say that we figured it out, and we can say that we're more advanced. But the only thing that's more advanced about us is our technology. We still deal with the same thing that Habakkuk is talking about with God. We still deal with the same injustices. We still deal with racism. We still deal with sexism. We still deal with addiction. We still deal with depression. We still deal with anxiety. So we're not advanced and we're not more pro progressive. We're just driving around the same old broken down cultural cul-de-sac. And God is saying, but I've got an exit ramp for the cul-de-sac and it's called faith. It's, it's called faith. Because when you put your faith in me, I'll give you a glimpse of something that is to come. 
I'll give you hope, and I'll give you purpose, and I'll give you a future, because if all we are doing is looking at culture, we will become exasperated with hopelessness. And we continue to ask the questions, will things ever get better? Can things ever get better? And the truth is, yes, they can, and yes, they will. But you need a vision of the kingdom of God first to put your faith in for your presence. So what do we do in the meantime? That's great. Again, I'll be honest, man. When I was younger, man, I was so kind of fearful about talking about heaven because it meant that my time on earth is done. But, man, I'm almost 35, and I'm not saying like a minute. But, man, heaven sounds awesome. Heaven's, like, I can honestly say that I am living my life now in anticipation of being with Jesus. That, I, that I'm in anticipation of being in his presence of not having to worry about the things that I worry about, not having to be consumed with the things that I'm consuming about. I'm not saying, like, I'm just, again, I'm not just going to sit and wait for it because God's got plans for me and he's got plans for you. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? Well, we do this thing called life. We wake up. We get up, we go to work, we have relationships, we encounter issues, we go through we go through this thing called life because God has got a purpose for each of our lives. And while we wait for the day when Jesus would come back or when we stand before Jesus, we, we live life. And when we look at culture, yes, we're grieved, but when we look at the kingdom, we have hope. And Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's our charge. That's our commission. That we would be a part of bringing heaven to earth. That we would be a part of extending the message of Jesus, the message of grace, the message of purpose, the message of hope to those who have not heard yet. Being available, as we talked about in our Biblehood study yesterday, being available in every circumstance, in every situation, to give an explanation of the hope that we've experienced, of the grace that we've received, of the mercy that we've met. Oftentimes, uh, First Peter, as we're studying, First Peter talks about often that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we are strangers or aliens because we know that this world is not our home. We're simply passing through. We exist in this world, but we're not of this world, and we're not for this world. And so in the meantime, between the vision of the kingdom and stepping into it from this life into the next, uh, into the kingdom, uh, we live life. And is that all that we're supposed to do? No, but I, and the thing that I love about this is that, that God gives Habakkuk two things that we're called to do in this life. We're called to do, uh, one of them is worship, and I love that. And the other one is to taunt, which I love more. I know often those two things usually don't go hand in hand, worship and taunting, but check this out. And, we're gonna, and you're like, man, how is he going to get through this chapter in the time? We're going to go through 6 through 19 right now. So here we go. But this is what the Word of God says. But soon, this is worship and taunting, but soon their captives will taunt them. See, it's in the Bible. You can taunt. If anybody looks at you weird at a sporting event and be like, would you just shut up? Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm doing what the Bible says. It says I may taunt, so I'm going to be taunting. Sorry. No, so, but soon their captives will taunt them. 
They will mock them, saying, what sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. You become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly, your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and take all you have, while you stand trembling and helpless, because you have plundered many nations, and now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits uh, awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly. You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. Uh, what, what God's saying is when a, um, so with birds, you've seen them. Uh, uh, what, when a bird wants to remove its family from danger, what the bird will do is it'll actually try and build its nest at the highest point of the tree, almost to the point where it's unsafe because that's the highest point of danger. So that's that metaphor. So, so when, when, when God is saying, man, uh, when it's build big houses and money, you believe your wealth will buy you security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. That's like, man, when you just have your hope and money, it's basically just building your nest high, but man, the danger's still real. Because the higher you go, the less security there is. And things could fall, things could tumble down. So that's that metaphor. I just thought that was really interesting. So that was free. You're welcome. But by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaints. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of heaven's armies promised that the wealth of the nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with the awareness of the glory of the Lord. What sorrow awaits you who, wake your, uh, who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so that you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. But soon it will be your turn to be disgraced. Come, drink and be exposed. Drink from the cup of the Lord's judgment, and all the glory will be turned to shame. You cut down the forests of Lebanon. Now you will be cut down. You destroyed the wild animals, and so now their terror will be yours. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What good is an idol carved by man or, or a cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that can't even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say a, say to wooden idols, wake up and save us. To speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. What does all that mean? Have you ever been to a baseball game? Baseball. It's the Lord's sport. So in a baseball game, Let's say you've got a pitcher, and the pitcher comes out, and he's a new pitcher, and, and, it, and maybe it's his first major league start, and let's say this thing just does not go well for this guy. This does not go well. He's pulled out at the end of two innings. His mom is so embarrassed that she shuts the TV off. She doesn't even want to see the rest of the game. And oftentimes, if you're a true avid sports fan and you love your team the way I do, man, when that pitcher gets relieved, oftentimes there's a little chant that we say, and it goes like this, na-na-na-na, na-na-na-na. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. That's a taunt. Uh, for all the hockey fans, for all the hockey fans out there, oftentimes when your team's up and things, <laughs> we have a hockey fan back there that just guffawed. She guffawed. So in another team, not the wild, sure, whatever. 
when your team is winning and you want to kind of shove it in, in the other team's face, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll play this amazing song made famous by the Mighty Ducks, by the ba band called Queen. And it's, we will, we will rock you. That's a taunt. What is worship? Worship is the proclamation of Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we worship in response to how well things are going in this life. Sometimes the only appropriate response that we have is to declare how amazing and how awesome and how wonderful God is. And sometimes we walk into worship being weighed down by the circumstances of this life, by the circumstances of the morning, by the circumstances of this week, and we worship in faith, believing, God, I know you have greater things for me than this. I know that this struggle is just temporary, but in faith because I'm not feeling it right now. I'm going to worship you in faith, believing that there is more. We worship in faith and we worship in response. And in the same thing, what we're doing is we are taunting our spiritual enemy. We are taunting the powers of darkness. We are taunting the devil himself. We are saying, I don't care what you have. I don't care what you think you brought to the table, but my God is bigger and, his, and he's stronger. Na 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 na, devil. Hey, hey, goodbye. I'm going to worship. I'm going to give God the glory. I'm going to give God the praise. I'm going to psych out the opposing team because the thing that I love about the devil. That's a weird thing for a pastor to say, so I'll finish my sentence. The thing that I love about the devil is that he is so aware. He is so aware that he's losing. And he is so aware that at the end of all things, he will lose. So when you and I come into the presence of God, when we worship, when we take those moments corporately as a church or by ourselves in our car or at home and we worship and we proclaim the goodness of Jesus, we in response are taunting the powers of darkness, the powers of the enemy, the powers of hell. And the great thing about knowing God and knowing his word is that we know that we again are on the winning team. Jesus is coming back to set all the wrong things right. The injustices will be answered for. The wrongs will be made right. And we want it now. And I know we want it now because I want it now. But God is saying, I know you want it now, but remember, this is not your timing. This is my timing. And so what I need you to do is I need you to wait in the meantime. I need you to just trust me and wait. If it feels slow, it's not in your timing. And then verse 20 to end our time this morning. I love verse 20. It says, but. That's a big but. I like big buts, and I cannot lie. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Why is this such a powerful verse? Why is this such a powerful thing for God to end his response to Habakkuk with? Because God is reminding Habakkuk, hey, things are bad, but I haven't gone anywhere. I haven't gone anywhere. Things may seem hopeless, but I haven't gone anywhere. Things may seem overwhelming, but I haven't gone anywhere. 
You may feel distant and you may, be by, you may feel by yourself, but I haven't gone anywhere. God is faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And as, and as bad as things feel right now, God has not gone anywhere. And justice is his. And judgment is his. And the retaliation is his. And so we put our faith in the immovable God, the God who has gone nowhere, but the God who is still active and involved in the things that happen in this world, the things that happen in your life. And when you get impatient, remember, it's not in your timing. So trust God and put your faith in him in the meantime, because again, he hasn't gone anywhere. Amen. Father, thank you. God, thank you so much that you, you're, you are still here. Thank you, God, so much that your presence is still amongst us as your people. God, thank you so much that you, are, you continue to be faithful. Even when things feel like they're going out of, out of control and just they're, they just seem to be, the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. God, I'm so thankful for the fact that you say, I will never leave you. I, I will never forsake you. That you are the cornerstone that we can build our life on. That you are the rock that we can build our houses upon. And when things come and surprises happen, God, you don't move. God, this world is broken. This world is messed up. I don't want to deny that. But God, what I don't want to deny more is the fact that you're not still working. And so God, I ask you right now for every single person in this room, and for every person who hears this message through our, our podcast and our, or our website, God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would give them a vision of the kingdom of God. That you would give them a vision of justice being, being executed. That you would give them a vision of the wrongs being made right. God, that you would give them a vision of the kingdom that is to come so that they can have hope in the meantime. And God, in the meantime... You've called us to live this life. You've called us into the places of business that we, that we occupy. You've called us to the friend circles and the neighborhoods, not so that we could simply sit back and live and wait for you to come, but that we could be your hands and your feet in a world who needs not simply to hear about you, but see you in practical ways. God, you've called us to live that life. You've called us to more than simply existing, but God, you give us the purpose to exist with potential. And so God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your love for us. You love us so, so incredibly well. And this is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we will see you back next week uh, as we wrap up this part of our Summer in Scripture series. So have a wonderful day. We'll see you later. Danelle has something to say. Our lovely host, Paula, she brought cheesecake for us all. So we will set it out here, and there are multiple different types. So go ahead and enjoy a piece or two if there's enough. And Lord, we pray over the cheesecake. It is Sunday. It is calorie-free. This isn't a cheat day because there's nothing bad in them. In your name we pray, amen. Have a good week.